Today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about something awesome, all right. We're going to talk about the only miracle that made it into all four Gospels, not counting the resurrection. Uh, that's the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, we'll be specifically looking at John's account, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. I may throw in there some things from some of the other gospel accounts that give us a little more insight into the same story. But John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, if you want to follow along with us, it is a fantastic uh, miracle with lots of meaning behind it. We're wrapping up our series today uh, based on Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, basically talking about how wonderful the treasures are that we get to enjoy in this life, but they're temporary. They're temporary, and the good news is, is that we have a treasure. If, we, if we're storing up treasure in heaven, we have a, an eternal treasure to look forward to that will never end and that we'll always get to enjoy. And so the title of today's message specifically is Beyond Yourself. Beyond Yourself. In fact, the whole series could have probably been called Beyond because we're thinking beyond the temporary, beyond the now, beyond me and myself and my needs, my wants, my pleasures, but thinking beyond ourselves and having a, an eternal perspective. Beyond yourself, generosity happens when we think beyond ourselves and keep God in the equation. Everybody say that with me. Keep God in the equation. Keep God in the equation. That is such a, a, a bottom line for me in today's message that really bubbled to the top as I began to study is that we can do a lot of wonderful, a lot of great things as human beings and we can be pretty excited about them and so forth. But as humans, our temptation is so often to leave the Holy Spirit out. And we come up with human-sized dreams, not God-sized dreams. And we think about the things that we can put on paper, put pencil to paper, and come up with our own dreams and our own ideas and our, our own accomplishments, kind of our own human formula of what we think we can do. But today is definitely an outside-the-box, you might say outside-the-lunchbox kind of message. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, uh, kind of set the stage for us. Sometime after this, sometime after this, what's just happened is, you know, Jesus coming off of chapter 5 there in, in the Gospel of John, is he's healed the guy uh, that was lame that couldn't walk there at the pool of Bethesda, and huge crowds of people are following him. Some are following him because they're curious about his teachings. Some are following him to learn more and to see what's going to happen next. Some are following him because of human needs. You know, they're saying to themselves, hey, I heard that, uh, you know, my neighbor who was blind went to one of his uh, messages and he came home seeing. And another person says, uh, you know, my neighbor uh, couldn't walk and now they can. Another person says, my, my neighbor had been plagued with, with demons for a long time and now they don't have demons. And so people were coming and they were crowding in and they were following Jesus everywhere he went. Sometime after this, comma, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And John tells us that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside. He sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. That's real significant. The Jewish Passover festival was approaching. It was on everyone's mind. Imagine what it would be like for us, for instance, if it's right after Thanksgiving, Black Friday has happened, the ads are all out there, the Christmas carols are playing in, in, in all of the restaurants and, and, and schools and so forth, and, and it's kind of on our mind. Christmas is coming soon we might would say. 
The, the Passover feast was near, and it was on everyone's mind, and this multitude of people had come to follow Jesus. John clarifies that the Sea of Galilee is also called the Sea of Tiberias because it is believed by many that, this, that his gospel was, was being written for those primarily who were outside of Palestine. And he's, he's cluing them in a little bit, kind of like you would if you were talking to someone not from the area. You know, you get it far enough away from home, for instance. If, if I'm talking to someone in Indianapolis and they say, where do you live? I'll say, uh, we live in the Plainfield Avon area. If I'm talking to someone in Avon and they say, where do you live? I'll say, we live in the Auburn Meadows neighborhood. But if I'm, if I'm on vacation in Florida or I'm out at sea on a cruise or something, and somebody says, where are you all from? We're from Indy. We're from the Indianapolis area. And so John is mindful of that, and he knows that he needs to kind of clarify. This is the Sea of Galilee. That's also the Sea of Tiberias. And he reminds his readers that the Jewish Passover is approaching, and everybody's attentions are turning to that of bread. Verse 35 of this same chapter, later on, Jesus declared... I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Some of the miracles in the Bible, some of the events, the stories, they're so powerful in their own standalone uh, setting that sometimes we just kind of we focus on the fact that 5,000 uh, men and their families were hungry and 5,000 men and their families got fed. You know? But we forget what it's kind of sandwiched into in its context. Feast. The feast of Passover is coming, and it's a big, big deal. Well, there are four lessons from a boy's lunch box that I think would serve us all well when we think of the treasure principle, laying up treasures in heaven, thinking beyond ourselves, and allowing God into the picture in everything that we do, in everything that we say, and everything that we accomplish, every part of your life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been born again into him, you have died to yourself, you're alive in Christ, and the life that you live is not your own anymore. And that means that everything we have are material things. Our cars, our boats, our homes, the property that we own. Everything that we have really belongs to the Lord. Our time belongs to the Lord. Ooh, now it's getting personal, right? It said time has far surpassed money and our greatest uh, assets that we have because time is so precious and we're all so, so busy. Your talents belong to the Lord. Has God given you a, a, a gift to sing or to play an instrument? That belongs to the Lord. If God has given you the gift of intellect and academics, that belongs to the Lord. If God has given you the gift of athleticism and coordination, that belongs to the Lord. And so you have to ask yourself at some point, what, if I, what am I doing with what I have, with what God has given me to use for his kingdom? And this little boy had a lunchbox. <laughs> he had a lunchbox. The first thing that we, I learned from this boy's lunchbox is that we need to recognize needs as opportunities. As you're paying attention, as you're recognizing what's going on in the lives of others, as you're thinking beyond yourself and you're aware of hungry people or homeless people, hurting people, sad people, grieving people, depressed people, anxious people, as you're thinking beyond yourself, you become very much in tune with what others are going through and you begin to see their needs not as inconveniences but as opportunities. 5,000 men and their families who have followed Jesus because he can make the lame to walk, 
And they followed him away from all the conveniences of their food sources, are hungry. A need presents itself. Verses 5 and 6 say this. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. About six months had passed since John the Baptist had been martyred, been killed for not shutting up about Jesus. <laughs> and the disciples had been preaching away, and great curiosity was building about Jesus. Crowds were following him, and they were impressed with his miracles. And that leads us to this miracle in chapter, uh, chapter 6 of the feeding of the 5,000. It was a very remote area kind of out in a wilderness kind of, of setting. There weren't many markets nearby to just go and, and buy their own food, and it, it set the stage for God to do what only he can do. Set the stage for only God to do what he can do. Sometimes we kind of have to hit rock bottom, don't we? Or we have to have such a desperate need that there's no way to say, well, everything worked out because, and we name all kinds of common sense type of answers to it. We say, no, everything worked out because God stepped in and God showed up in a big way and God made things happen. And that is exactly what happened in this remote area. I said this appears in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the other Gospel writers, one of the things they tell us is that the disciples had begun uh, becoming concerned and anxious about 5,000 men and their families who were going to be hungry very soon, and they didn't have food to feed them. And so they began talking amongst themselves before Jesus looks up and says, hmm, hey, Philip, and he asks the question that they'd already been puzzled over. Are you aware of opportunities for God to shine through you? You got your eyes open? There's a Christian song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Are your, are your eyes open? Are they attuned to opportunities? I got a confession to make for you today. My eyes, I feel like in 2020, pardon the expression there, 2020, I, I got pretty good vision going on. I got my eyes wide open, and I have got great intentions, great intentions, things I'm going to do, things I even remember, which is rare, things I even remember to discuss with my wife, and I'll say, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking, what do you think, maybe we ought to do this kind of thing, and God puts an opportunity right before me, an opportunity to get in on what he's going to do. A young man who grew up across the street from me when I was preaching in Henryville experienced a dramatic conversion experience. When he was growing up, I think I lived across the street from him when he was like ages maybe 12, uh, 12 to 17, something like that. And, and our church had regular vacation Bible school programming in the summer. We had a youth ministry, and, and we had an open volleyball court, sand court, and we had basketball goals in our parking lot. And it was within view of his home and my home and was in, within walking distance easily. But their, their parents would not let them go to church so much so they couldn't even go play basketball in the church parking lot. They couldn't participate in the Tuesday night open uh, volleyball. Never once did they ever accept an invitation to come to vacation Bible school. And after Shauna and I married, the kids would kind of come over more and hang out on our front porch. And I even found uh, a while back at school pictures of, of theirs. 
And so you, know, you pray for them, you hope, and then you kind of lose track. And, and more than 10, more than 15 years go by, and I'm on Facebook one day, and I find this young man, and, and he's happily married. Scripture's on, on, on the screen, and it turns out he had hit rock bottom, ended up being rescued by a, a, an alcohol and drug addiction ministry in southern Indiana that took him in. His life got turned around. He, he got saved, got born again into Christ, ended up going to Louisville Bible College, is a deacon at, at a church in southern Indiana, and, in, and is now co-director of, of an addiction ministry. And uh, that was just awesome. He put on Facebook, near the end of the last year, beginning of this year, going to uh, Liberia, trying to raise support. I told Sean, I said, we need to help out. I want to be a part of that. I want to get in on that. I want to send, send she, she agreed. That sounds like a good idea. And we were going to do that. And so one day I'm like, oh, I've never, I've not gotten around to doing that. I need to do that. And so I got my, my phone out. I went to his Facebook page, kind of get an update. See, when is that trip? And, and how can I give? And how much does he still need? And he had posted something one hour prior. He was sitting at the airport about to take off. And he said, good news. I've received all the support that I, I, I needed. I met my goal, including all the supplies we needed for the trip. Thank you, everybody who participated. Now, that's good news, right? It's great for the kingdom because he got everything he needed and he was able to go on his trip and it was fully paid for. But you know what? It wasn't good news for me because I missed out. I saw the need. I saw the opportunity. I got excited about it. I wanted to be a part of it. And I sat there not thinking to myself, hey, glad I waited. Didn't cost me anything. It's the thought that counts. No, I was crushed, actually. And I told Sean, I said, I didn't get to help. He got all the support he needed. He's already gone. You know what? God doesn't need my help to accomplish what God wants to do. God doesn't need any of us to be a part of his ministry. He, he could have just called it all into action and caused everything to happen and not involved any of it in, in, in the process. We need to be a part of it. <laughs> I want to get in on that treasure principle. I want to store up treasures in heaven, and I want to be a part of it. When my friend... Tim came back from Liberia. He posted on Facebook. He baptized 27 people uh, there in Liberia. 27 people. And I was so excited about that. And I'm so excited for him. But I was even more disappointed in myself because I saw a need, but I did not take the opportunity. Because I delayed and I sat on it. This morning in our growth group class, it was, it was mentioned, you know, a, a great thing about Dover Christian Church. We were the first church to step up and say to Love, Inc., yes, we would like to be a part of Living Hope. We're the first ones. You know what the common answer that other churches gave them for delaying and waiting? We'd like to be a part of it, but first we want to see what the other churches do. <laughs> Boys' lunchbox. One boy's lunchbox was an opportunity to feed 5,000 men and their families. I love that we are reminded here in John chapter 6 that God already knows the answers to the test that he gives us. God already, Jesus already knew what he was going to do, and he was only asking the question of Philip for Philip's benefit. He wanted to test Philip. He wanted this to be a teaching opportunity for him. And so he asks him the question, you know, where are you going to get enough food to feed all of these these people. God never tempts us to do evil, but I want you to know he does oftentimes test us. 
he tests us to train us. He tests us to not to see what we're going to do because he already knows ahead of time what we're going to do. But we need to know what we're going to do. And we need to go through the fire sometimes. And we need to experience the, the pain and the hurt of rejection. And we need to be refined and we need to be ready. And he gives us opportunities to prove that our faith is real by participating in opportunities to shine. Matthew 5.16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What would happen in your life, in my life, if we began to see everything as a potential test for future opportunities? Is the hungry person that God puts in your path a test for you? Will you feed him or her? Is the person needing encouragement after experiencing a great loss God's test for you? Will you send the card? Will you make the phone call? Will you text just to check up and to show that you care? Is the homeless person needing shelter a test for our congregation? Is the student traveling on a missions trip in need of support God's test? For you. The phrase of the disciples in Matthew's gospel has, has them telling Jesus, send them away so that they can eat. Excuse me, teacher, sorry to interrupt. There's a lot of people here. There's 5,000 men plus their families. We need to send this, these folks away uh, to show that we care because they need to go get something to eat. <laughs> that was their solution. Missed opportunity. Number two. Little boy's lunchbox. Here's what I get. Number two, focus on what you have, not what you don't have. In John chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, Philip answers Jesus this way. He says, well, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? One denarius was a day's wages, and Philip's calculations might better have been said to be closer to two-thirds of an annual salary just for them to have a bite, a bite. In the research that I've done, probably what was in the boy's basket, a typical lunch of that day, the barley loaves were what the common people would eat and we're told that there are five of those. So imagine five crispy little bread sticks and a couple of fish. So picture, you know, some fish jerky. And that's what he has for his lunch. One little boy and his lunch. And my question for you today is something that I can't help but think about. If I saw 5,000 men and their families who were very hungry, who were out in a remote wilderness kind of area, and I see a little boy that's brought to me or comes up to me, and I see that he's got in his little lunch bag, what's, what's your mom got packed for you here today? Oh, I see you got five loaves and two fish. You know what I'd tell him? You better keep that to yourself. I tell you what, go, go behind a tree or something somewhere and you, you eat that because that wouldn't be enough to solve this problem. So you just, you just go, go over there and don't, anybody, don't eat in front of anybody, but just go ahead and eat. Don't, don't you worry about it. But Andrew brings him to Jesus. He says, here's a little boy, five breadsticks, two fish jerkies. <laughs> Well, what is that among so many people? <laughs> At least Andrew brought him to Jesus. What you got in your lunchbox? What is in the lunchboxes of some of our 
the spiritual lunch boxes of some of our kids and our students here at Dover? Are we asking them, hey, let's open up your lunch box. Let's look over this. Let's talk about it. Let, let's bring, let, let, let's look at your, your allowance. You know, you're getting this certain allowance. Have you thought about being obedient to God and returning a tithe to his storehouse? Are you considering, you know, what you might be able to do to help other people? Are you putting anything aside for savings? Are you spending the rest of it wisely? preacher I used to work alongside uh, had a, a sermon one Wednesday night and I, I still remember it you might think it's corny but I still remember it lo these many years later give God your best put a few eggs in your nest put a few eggs in your nest <laughs> live wisely on the rest <laughs> first and foremost give God your best your first fruits put a few eggs in your nest by that he's talking about a nest egg he's talking about saving for retirement for emergencies Kind of a Dave Ramsey kind of principle. And then love wisely on the rest. Biblical principles. When we think beyond ourselves, that's when generosity happens. And when we include and keep God in the equation. Not what we can do on our own, but what we can do only with the power of the Holy Spirit awakening our hearts to the needs around us. And we see needs as opportunities. And we don't look at what we don't have, but we look at what we do have and we say, I ain't got much. This won't solve all the problem. But then I've got a God that can do a measure, a God who can do immeasurably more than all I can ever begin to think or imagine. As Paul told the Ephesians. Third thing, third lesson I get from this little boy's lunchbox. Plan your work and work your plan. <laughs> plan your work and work your plan. Jesus said in John 6.10, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. I've read that the average household, at least in America today, has 2.5 people in it. <laughs> so if we apply you know, that math to here, we have about 12,500 people really are part of the feeding of the 5,000. It's really the feeding of the like 12,500 or so, give or take. And there, there's plenty of grass there, which is mind-boggling to me. <laughs> how do you communicate? How do you, how do you orchestrate this kind of, uh, of a feeding of all of these people? Especially when at the time, what you've got is a little boy's lunchbox, a little boy's food basket with five loaves and two fish in it. You're going to feed all of these people. And Jesus tells you, have the people sit down. I think it's Luke's gospel that tells us, it is. Luke's gospel tells us that they were put into groups of about 50. <laughs> and that's why I titled this third thing, Plan Your Work and Work Your Plan. It's not haphazard. It's not to the extreme that maybe Philip was going to, where he's wanting to put pencil to paper, get his calculator out or his abacus or whatever he's using, and go through and try to calculate and figure out exactly what amount of wages it would take for each person to have basically the equivalent of one of those little mini pretzels out of a pretzel bag. <laughs> Now, that's an extreme. But another extreme is to not do anything and just say, well, the Lord knows the need. We'll just wait and see what he does. <laughs> no, Jesus says, go ahead, get busy, get started right now. Step out in faith. Go ahead and have these, these 5,000 households of people sit down. Put them in about groups of 50, if you will, and we're going to feed them. Imagine being part of that. Okay, attention, please. Can you hear me? <laughs> you know. What we want to do is, and you start putting all the people in these groups, and you're like, I only got five loaves. I don't know what he's doing. You know. And Jesus gives thanks, and they begin to feed the people. And a great miracle happens. As we've already said, it is recorded in 
only three, I'm sorry, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels, and it's the only miracle that was outside of the resurrection, but it's a pretty big deal. Turn it over to God is the final lesson from this lunchbox. Turn it over to God. John chapter 6, verses 11 through 14 says this, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. This is an all-you-can-eat kind of event. It's like being on the cruise and they put the little wristband on you and you can eat anytime, anywhere, anything's open kind of thing. Have fun. I mean, eat all that you want. They're able to eat all that they want. Five loaves, two fish. They're able to eat all that they want. Everybody is fully satiated and they're holding their bellies when they're finished. Woo! They're out in this remote area. What are you going to eat? They're all going to be weak. They're going to be fainting because there's not enough food. And now suddenly everybody's had enough to eat. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Each one had as much as he wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. <laughs> There's leftovers. Five fish, two, five loaves, two fish. Let nothing be wasted. Boy, if you're one that underlines your Bible, that might be a good thing to underline. Let none of it be wasted. This isn't just about food for hungry people here. This is a lesson. This is a metaphor. This is an illustration that Jesus is using. So they gave them, they gathered them, and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves and the leftovers of those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the prophet that Moses talked about would be coming. Here he is. This must be the guy. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, Matthew and Mark include a second miracle of the feeding of 4,000 people, in addition to this one in John 6 of the feeding of 5,000. Isn't that kind of interesting? <laughs> kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? You just had a feeding where 5,000 people were fed. Hey, let's do it again, only this time let's feed 1,000 less. <laughs> Sequel. <laughs> doesn't seem to be so exciting in a chronological way since the 5,000 had happened first. Again, it's not about the feeding of the hungry people physically. There's a spiritual lesson here. The one we're studying today, this feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6 took place near Bethsaida, close to the Sea of Galilee where the Jewish people were. The feeding of the 4,000 took place in the region of the Gerasenes near the Decapolis where the Gentiles were. <laughs> There's some numerical significance uh, that may very well have been the point of Jesus performing the miracles as well. The 5,000 people, uh, that was done with five loaves of bread. There are five great law books that the Jewish people have the utmost respect for. They are sacred to them. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And when they finished eating, there were 12 baskets of leftovers collected, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus made, the 12, made sure the 12 baskets were not wasted. Every person that God has created has great value and worth to him. And Jesus, who is the bread of life, is is performing not just a miracle, but an object lesson. He is the bread of life. And every one of these 5,000 men and their families matter immensely to God. You never lock eyes with anyone that does not matter to God. There is no one who God has created that does not matter to him and for whom his son Jesus has not died on the cross to save them of their sins. And then 
the second miracle, the feeding of the 4,000, that was with seven loaves. <laughs> We're doing less with more. Seven loaves to feed 4,000 people, and seven baskets of leftovers were collected. <laughs> seven is the number in the Bible that represents completeness. Remember the seven days of creation? On the seventh day, God rested from his work. It, it is completed. And, and, and here we have this message, this, this example to the Gentiles, the feeding of the 4,000 you know what? They get in on it too. The bread of life is not just for the Jewish people. It's for the Gentile people as well. Red, yellow, black, and white. We are all precious in his sight. And every life matters. And Jesus is demonstrating that with the feeding of the 4,000 after the feeding of the 5,000. Not because he's wanting to underwhelm the people with a, a lesser miracle as a sequel. But because he is wanting to communicate to them everyone matters and everyone has value. And nothing is wasted. God's love through Jesus is for all people. Everyone matters. No one gets left out. All life is valued by God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 17, the Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. <laughs> I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves. What I say is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. It is not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ, because there is, there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Comparisons were made by the crowds between Jesus and Moses. Some grumbled that while impressive, Jesus' miracle was just for one day, whereas Moses did something way back when where manna bread that they called, what is it, fell from the sky and fed the Israelites for 40 years. <laughs> Missed point. As the Nelson's Illustrated Bible Commentary points out, Moses was only the delivery man of the bread Jesus was and is the bread. Do you have the bread of life? Well, I'm not talking about lunch plans after church or what you're going to eat during the Super Bowl or do you have enough food in your pantry. I'm talking about do you have, do you have the living water that is Jesus? Do you have the bread of life which quenches a hunger that no physical food on this earth can to where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you will spend eternity? Because it's for the Jewish people. It's for the Gentile people. It's for everyone in this room. It's for everyone in Thorntown and Jamestown and Advance and Lebanon and Crawfordsville and all of Boone County. It is for everyone. It is for the people in Ethiopia where this morning a plane filled with people, many of whom are from this church, are, are just now probably heading off to bed, hopefully. But they have arrived safely because there's a great opportunity to tell people you matter to God. You get in on it, too. There are no fatherless because we're to be a father to the fatherless. We are to stand up for the weak. We are to defend the cause of those who have experienced injustice. That's you and me if we're watching for opportunities if we see needs as opportunities, not inconveniences. If we look at what we do have, not what we don't have, and we say, Lord, let me open the box for you. All that I am, here I am. And when we begin, when we remember, keep God in the equation. Keep God in the equation. Have a plan, work your plan, but keep God in the equation. Do something so big that if God's not in it, 
you will fail. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, that we've been able to gather here today and to praise your name. I thank you, Lord, for for the songs that we have sung and and for the words in those songs and the meanings behind them. I thank you, God, for the offering that will be taken up later and given to you as our sacrifice of of our way of saying we want to put our investment to raise our level of interest in in your kingdom work god i thank you for the communion that we'll take where we'll observe your broken body and your shed blood for us i thank you god for the freedom that we have to assemble in this place i pray god we will not waste the opportunity lord would you open the eyes of our heart this morning would you speak to every man and woman every every boy and girl every teen every young adult god today and do your work in us God, will you give courage to those who fear stepping out and saying, I'm not perfect, I need a Savior? Will you give humility to those who feel like they're their own Savior? That God today will be the day of salvation for them. And that God, they can get in on your kingdom and your kingdom work. God, we pray this in Jesus' name.